When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Cambridge is stunned at the inaugural Earthshot Prize Awards. Andrew Morton himself is here, and the queen can no longer have her nightcap. This and more on episode 42 of Podcast Royal. Hello, friends, and hello, my friend Jessica. How are you? I am so wonderful. Um, How are you doing? I'm good. This has not been my favorite week of my life as we discuss offline, but I'm hanging in there and happy to be with you. Well, I am glad to be back with you too. It's been, um, it's been a pretty busy week. A lot's happened. Um, So I am going to share what I'm into this week because I'm pretty excited about this one. Do tell. All right. So if you haven't seen yet, um, Anthropology just dropped their new fall clothing line. Um, and it is so obviously a nod to Princess Diana. Have you seen it? No, tell me. Um, really beautiful clothes. They are definitely styles she, sh- she would have worn. Um, so, you know, it, there's plaid blazers, ruffle neck blouses, cable knit cardigans, um, some really pretty holiday dresses. And the model that they have in these clothes even looks like Princess Diana. Wait She's a minute. Got- I have seen this. I didn't realize Did it was- I had, I didn't realize it was anthropology. Yes. Now I know what you're talking. I've seen this on my social media. Yes. Oh my gosh. And does she have her head kind of turned to the side and she's blonde? Yeah. It's that short kind of bob haircut. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have seen this. I just didn't realize it was anthropology. I didn't look that close. Yes, definitely a nod to her and the clothes are beautiful and I'm really excited about it. So if, um, you know, listeners like to shop anthropology, go check that out. Yeah, for sure. I was going to ask you when you say princess Diana inspired, which era are we referring to? Because there's some eras that I might not want to repeat, but then there's some eras that I'm all about, but if it's anthropology, it's going to be really fashion forward. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh, a modern spin on some of those, you know, classic traditional British styles. Ooh. Okay. Well, I don't know if mine can stack up to that, but this week I am into all of the good TV on right now. I'm having a heyday with my television queue over here. So I am currently watching, let's see, American Crime Story Impeachment, Succession, The Morning Show, the Diana docuseries on CNN, which we'll talk a little bit more in a bit. The Center, probably more that I can't think of. It kind of seems like after TV slowed down for COVID, since no one could really film, the TV shows I love are coming back in full force. Are you watching any? I know I ask you this, but are you watching any shows that you're that you're into right now, or are you just busy with your DIY home projects and being a more productive? citizen than me. <laughs> uh, well, as you know, we were chatting before we started um, recording and I did spend a long weekend out of town. Um, so I have really not watched TV this week. I'm actually even behind on a uh, great British baking show, new episodes. What? So I'm going to catch up on those tonight though. And uh, I still have, yeah, a growing list of of things on, on Netflix that I need to watch. So oh, I forgot. I've got to finish you tonight. So you season three dropped over the weekend. I'm on episode nine. It's awesome. really good. Um, and I've had to tear myself away from it, but I'm all into this TV. There's some really great TV on right now. So um, I just get so sidetracked doing other things. I, you know, I can consume a huge list of podcasts in a short amount of time because I can multitask with it. But the TV, if I am not sitting there totally tuned in 100%, I just totally miss, you know, what's going on and punchlines. And uh, so I have to really just disconnect from everything. And sometimes it's hard to do that. 
yeah, I'm really, you know, constantly working on getting life more balanced and not working so much. And I really took Sunday this past Sunday to just literally not work, which I know, like, why would I be working on a Sunday? But I, I really have been. And it was so nice to just like watch television all day. And just, I had my mom over to my house and we just laid around and watched TV and it was fantastic. I also wanted to share another life hack or not another life hack It's because TV is not, well, I guess TV is a life hack for me. It allows me to disconnect, but I have started doing this life hack. So when I get up these days, I've been drinking 64 ounces of water before I really dive into my day. So I have a 16 or did I say 64 or 16? Cause I meant 64. So I have a 16 ounce, um, bottle water bottle and I drink four of those before I get started and like that's not in one sitting like I'll drink 16 ounces and then I'll take a shower and then I'll drink 16 ounces and then I'll get ready and then I'll you know on and yeah and so that way if I accomplish nothing else during the day at least I've had my water intake and my skin reflects it I feel like my skin looks good I feel good And if nothing else, I've accomplished that for the day. So that has been good for me. Well, I definitely need to pick up that hack because I um, have not been as good about drinking water lately. I need to get back on that. Yeah, I I usually honestly don't drink much of anything during the day. I drink at mealtimes, but that's really about it. But um I will tell you that I, I find that I have more mental clarity in the morning because I'm not a morning person. And I feel like I have more mental clarity when I start my day off with, with my water. I don't know if that's just a placebo effect or what, but it, it's working for me. So um, other than that, my week has been terrible. So <laughs> I'm just watching TV and drinking water over here and following our wonderful royal family. We are going to move into segment one, Royal Rundown. We have a lot to talk about before we have Andrew Morton on the show, which we're very excited about. So the Earthshot Prize Awards were on Sunday. And honestly, I want to sincerely say kudos to William and to Kate, too, and the entire team for just such a magnificent idea from back to front. And I am so excited, beyond thrilled, honestly, that the 2022 Earthshot Prize is heading right here to the United States. Did you hear that? Yes. Any predictions what city they'll choose? It'll probably be New York or Washington, D.C., but what if they chose, like, Atlanta? Then we would so be there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was wondering that, too, and I kind of settled on thinking it would be New York, but I don't know. We'll see. They could get creative. Maybe they'll even- Or L.A. (laughs) Well, Los Angeles would make sense, too, if they wanted to- You don't think think they would consider Birmingham? (laughs) Um, (laughs) the, The Birmingham cheerleader in me wants to say, absolutely. You know, we've got the British connection already. There's a city in the U.K. called Birmingham, but I wouldn't bet my money on it. So they would probably pick um, a city that is really progressing in green efforts. Yeah, you're right. And I'm not really sure what city that is, but um, we'll have to look into that and maybe make some some better predictions. Well, I know that they're listening to us for suggestions. So I throw Birmingham in the hat. Why not? Why not? (laughs) So William and Kate showed up on the green carpet, not the red carpet, but the green carpet ready to wow. So Let's talk Kate, first of all. She is uh, was stunning in an Alexander McQueen rewear from 2011. I loved her hair, first of all. I think that's going to be my new reference photo for any formal event I might go to, although I'm not sure what that would be. I don't really go to a lot of formals anymore, but um, her hair was incredible. Okay, then we have William in a green velvet suit, which is certainly a royal First, at least to my eye, I would love to hear your thoughts on the green velvet suit. So I actually was uh, thinking about this event um, this weekend and I really loved it. I, so I'll just kind of give a quick rundown. Um, I loved the idea of the green carpet. I thought that was really, really fun. Um, I also loved that they 
asked guests to rewear clothing from past occasions. Mm -hmm. Um, loved Kate's dress and you're right, her hair. And honestly, um, did I pick up on a little hint of red in her hair? Yeah, it looks more, it looks more red tones, like very autumnal, right? Like very fall, um, seasonal to me. It's just, I mean, I love it. Like I'm getting so many, so I just turned 35 last month. I think I've talked about that on the show and I'm getting so many white hairs that I've never dyed my hair ever, like ever, ever. This is my baby hair I was born with, or you know what I mean? Not hair I was born with, but hair that my natural hair. And I, I think I'm going to really use her, uh, photo as, as a reference photo going forward. Yeah, I definitely think she added a little hint of red in there. Uh, but but on William's outfit, I really liked the green velvet jacket. I am a fan of that sort of velvet fabric. Um, now, I have to admit, I'm not a big fan of the turtleneck look, uh, but I do think that it kind of tied the whole outfit together really nicely. So um, I'll give him that. But a uh, really, really cool jacket. Well. They, I mean, the whole event was just, it's just a, such a passion project of William. So before I go any further, if you want more Earthshot, you can get it. The five-part series, the Earthshot Prize, Repairing Our Planet is on Discovery's streaming platforms. And the book, Earthshot, How to Save Our Planet, is out here in the U.S. November 16th. So at the Earthshot Prize Awards, speaking to the crowd assembled, William specifically wanted to address quote, all the young people watching tonight, quote, likely in particular his children, George, Charlotte, and Louis. And he said, quote, for too long, we haven't done enough to protect the planet or your future. The earth shot is for you. In the next 10 years, we're going to act. We're going to find the solutions to repair our planet. Please keep learning, keep demanding change, and don't give up hope we will rise to these challenges. So again, you know, bravo all the way around to the Duke of Cambridge. So I, I know you ran through some of your thoughts. Do you have any other thoughts on this? Um, I just thought it was a cool, fun event. Um, and I also, did you see Charles's photo on Instagram? He posted ahead I of it. I did, I yeah, did. I was gonna say, I did like that photo. So Prince Charles posted a photo of him and William and they were in their jackets and he had his head laid over on William's shoulder and they were both smiling. Uh, and he actually had a little caption. I won't read the whole thing, but it said, you know, I'm very proud of my son, William on his growing commitment to the environment and the bold ambition of the Earthshot Prize. And then kind of went on to talk about you know more of the event and he mentioned his terracotta or ter sorry about that I always mess that up the terracotta um and sustainable markets initiative and then he kind of finished the caption out by saying we have a real opportunity to deliver a brighter future for humanity while restoring harmony between nature people and planet so um I just thought that was a, a sweet little show of support for William yeah and my mom has always said that I mean and we know this because we're royal followers that the environment and environmentalism has long been a passion project of Charles's as well. But in Charles's, um, when Charles was William's age, he was kind of looked upon as odd for caring so much about climate and <laughs> the environment. And now his son has really taken the baton and Charles is definitely still doing climate and environmental work, but William has really taken the baton and look at what he's done with it. So I can imagine that Charles is an extremely proud father this week. So ahead of Sunday's Earthshot Prize Awards, Prince William told the BBC on Thursday that maybe space tourism trips shouldn't be a priority. He, William actually kind of got some, some flack for this. William said, quote, we need some of the world's greatest brains and minds fixed on trying to repair this planet, not trying to find the next place to go and live. I think that ultimately is what sold it for me, that it really is quite crucial to be focusing on this planet rather than giving up and heading out into space to try to think of solutions for the future, end quote. So he and Kate, um, I, well, before I move on to that, any thoughts on, on his statement on that I I'm prone to agree with him but also I support space travel too but I think he's really referring to just the every man or every woman going into space why don't we take those efforts and focus on the planet that we already have so any thoughts on that I mean you know he's entitled to his opinion on that I 
my thoughts are, I kind of feel people should be free to explore and kind of do whatever they're passionate about, whether that's the environment or whether that's the, uh, you know, outer space and, and, you know, whatever they may be passionate about. Um, I, I tend to not really, um, fall with, with telling someone what they should and shouldn't do in that yeah. regard. So, I mean, that's, I that's just my personal perspective on that. I see his point, but I also, you know, if you look, if you're Jeff Bezos or, you know, Richard Branson, and you want to go to space with your millions of dollars then go to space, but, um, yeah, you know, there may be some value in that too, you know, and I think, you know, like, like I just said, people are passionate about all kinds of different things and, um, everyone's different, um, interests and, and passions are what make the world go around. Amen, sister. So he and Kate also spoke out about honestly, the absolutely appalling murder of David Amos, a member of parliament for 38 years, who was stabbed to death at an event with voters last week. The Cambridges wrote on their joint Twitter account, we are shocked and saddened by the murder of Sir David Amos, who dedicated 40 years of his life to serving his community. Our thoughts and prayers are with his family, friends, and colleagues. So obviously, Jessica, the, the royals famously don't discuss politics. They, they don't vote. They don't take sides in political debates. But this transcends politics into humanity. And, you know, on behalf of both of us, I, I know you'll be comfortable with me doing this. I'd like to echo the Cambridges and say our thoughts and prayers also go out to his loved ones during this awful time for them. That's just Absolutely. sickening and so, so devastating. So William, it's the William show today. William marked a milestone this week. He took to Instagram for his first ever Instagram Q&A. One of the highlights, I thought this was adorable. After being asked, are unicorns real? The Duke of Cambridge answered, well, I think if you talk to my daughter, she'd say they were real. Obviously, it's a trade secret, so I can't possibly comment. So William is having a big week, huh? Earthshot Prize Awards, his first Instagram Q&A. Yes, I saw this too, and I really enjoyed watching it. And I, when I was actually thinking about what I was into this week, um, I was actually going to mention this until I saw the fall line drop at Anthropology, and I had to, I had to mention that one. But um, I do like how the Cambridges are getting creative on social media, and you know we're getting more FaceTime there. I think it helps build their popularity, but, you know, it gives us a sense of who they really are kind of behind the scenes or behind the cameras at the official public appearances. Um, it sort of feels unscripted, even if it is, and it gives us sort of a, I don't know, just a more relatable perspective to, to be able to hear from them that way. It feels genuine. So I hope we get more of it. I hope we get to see Catherine doing something like this in the future. I think it could be really fun. Yeah, I need, I need more Instagram Q&As from the Cambridges and beyond. So by the way, speaking of Catherine, or as I, you know, she's my best friend, so I just call her Kate, but how beautiful was Kate um, in another Royal Rewear this week? So she did the McQueen Rewear to the Earthshot Prize Awards, but um, earlier in the week, the green Erdem coat she wore on Wednesday alongside William at a Generation Earthshot event. She had previously worn the coat while on tour in New Zealand in 2014. And I like how her, her rewears really do keep with the theme of sustainability. Did you like the different green shades that she incorporated in the look? Yeah, I agree. I thought it was a beautiful coat and I noticed that she has been very conscious of her fashion choices lately. And, um, you know, I, I think it goes to show how a quality classic piece can really last for a long time and it can withstand trendy fashion. It can hold up to, you know, wear and tear over the years and still look great. So I think that's a really great, um, model for, you know, all of us, uh, to remember that, you know, we don't have to constantly be chasing all these trends. If, uh, if the Duke of, or, I'm sorry, the Duchess of Cambridge can rewear a coat from 2014, we can too. 
I just had this thought. So if at the Earthshot Prize Awards, they weren't allowed to buy any new clothes. So that means that Williams owned that green jacket for a while. Yeah, I kind of wondered if it was like maybe something he wore at Christmas one year or something. I'm like, where did you wear that before? Because I would have surely remembered that if it were anywhere in public, it has to be like a a private family gathering or something, because I, one does not forget a green velvet jacket very easily. So, so I thought she looked beautiful in the green, but I thought she looked incredible today. Did you see her today in the red? Yes, I did. I Uh, want that dress. So turtlenecks are everywhere. Megan was wearing turtlenecks in New York City. William wore a turtleneck on Sunday. Kate is in a turtleneck dress. That dress is everything. I loved it. So, you know, it was, it was a pretty bright red color and it was this monochromatic look. And I actually went to what Kate wore, um, this afternoon to kind of do a little bit of digging. Um, so just for our listeners, so you can get kind of a rundown based on what Kate wore. Um, she had on this, it was a cashmere turtleneck sweater and it was actually polo Ralph Lauren. Um, and it was tucked into this red polyester pleated skirt. And I think Christopher Kane was the designer of the skirt. And then she, Wait, it wasn't had, a dress. It was not a dress. No, it was two pieces. Oh, um, yeah. You've just blown my mind. I thought it was a dress. No. So, uh, yeah, she pulled it off and made it look like it was one piece. And that, that I think is what I loved about it. You know, I, I think if it had been the same material on the top and the same on the bottom, it might've felt to um like matchy matchy sort of uh but it was the cashmere material paired with the sort of lighter flowy polyester of the skirt I think they complemented each other really well I think they were good textures to put together and um yeah I mean it looked totally seamless you couldn't even tell when she was walking so I'm serious I thought that was a one piece like I thought that was I thought I had no you have blown my mind I have I hadn't had the chance to get over to what Kate wore today and I am I'm shocked I mean that's amazing such a good she paired the outfit which I love that she does this with tan um pumps and this tan colored leather handbag I love the Mm -hmm. the neutrals on the you know the handbag and the feet. Um, and then she had these little gold hoops and what Kate wore said the gold hoops, they think are ASOS, which retail for like $14 and 50 cents. So, mm-hmm. um, she really did a good job kind of pairing highs and lows. Cause the skirt was certainly a splurge piece. I mean, that came in just over a thousand dollars. If, if, um, if they got that, um, correct on their site, which I'm sure they did. So yeah, what Kate um, yeah, wore is great. the best at, at, it's just the best um so yeah and I know I Susan Kelly would not put that out there unless she knew without much doubt that that was where it came from wow you have still blown my mind um yeah I was trying to decide though if I liked how they had her hair today I mean it was just down and it was curled um but I was trying to decide if it if I would have preferred it up maybe in a ponytail or, or something. I don't know. I mean, I think I, I think it looks it. okay. Yeah, I, I, I think it. so. I was just trying to think like, you know, how, how she might've done it differently, but, um, but it looked great. It looked good. Yeah. Well, she was giving, what she was doing was she was giving a keynote speech at an event for one of her patronages, the Forward Trust. The Forward Trust launched its taking action on addiction or of the taking action on it, it has to be taking action on addiction campaign today, which is Tuesday. And Kate, who just two days prior, obviously presented an award at the Earthshot Prize Awards, took to the stage for this keynote as well, speaking about addiction and its roots in early childhood experiences. This long-term campaign will work to improve understanding and awareness of addiction all with the goal of encouraging more people to ask for and receive help. So in part of her speech, Kate said, addiction is not a choice. No one chooses to become an addict, but it can happen to any one of us. None of us are immune. It is all too rarely discussed as a serious mental health condition, and seldom do we take the time to uncover and fully understand its fundamental root causes. And then she continued, as a society, we need to start from a position of compassion and empathy where we nurture those around us, understand their journey, 
and what has come before them. So that's powerful stuff. So obviously she looked beautiful, but what she was doing was really powerful too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I liked what she had to say on, on all of that. You know, she mentioned addiction is, is something really complex and we don't often understand the circumstances of others or, you know, underlying factors that lead to that. She referenced um, how COVID-19 lockdowns can also cause a lot of stress and isolation for people that, um, that often impacts addiction. And, um, you know, this, this campaign is really helping to drive awareness around that and um, hopefully provide some really healthy information to people and, and help combat, um, you know, this uh, addiction um, crisis and, and you know, health issue that, that people face. Yeah. Well, Cambridges have obviously had an interesting week, but so has the queen. A lot has gone down for her this week. So First off, today, Tuesday, she, Charles, and William welcomed international leaders to Windsor to discuss the climate crisis, which of course has been top of mind for the family this week with the Earthshot Prize Awards. Also, she has a new wax figure at Madame Tussauds Blackpool, Mm -hmm. and it looks a whole lot like her. And um, some news coming out of Kenya, Treetops, which is the safari lodge in Kenya where she was staying in February 1952 when her father unexpectedly passed away has announced that it is closing due to a sharp drop in tourism because of the pandemic. Hmm. Treetops opened in 1932 and of course on February 6, 1952, that's when her father passed away. The Queen's armed escort Jim Corbett wrote in the Treetops logbook of the treehouse she and husband Philip were staying in, quote, for the first time in the history of the world, a young girl climbed into the tree as a princess and climbed down as a queen. It's pretty powerful. Wow. And she was also advised, very um, random but interesting article from Vanity Fair this week, also advised to drop her daily cocktail, according to Vanity Fair. The drink she prefers is usually a martini, the family friend told the, bu- the publication, continuing, it's not really a big deal for her. She's not a big drinker, but it seems a trifle unfair that at this stage in her life, she's having to give up one of her very few pleasures. So what do you think about this? And, you know, is taking away one of her simple pleasures unfair? It's funny how this kind of stuff, you know, makes it out of the palace into the news. <laughs> I know. I'm like, gosh, who who's leaking this? And how did this how did this item get out? Well, you know, one of my simple pleasures is chocolate. And I have to admit, it would be extremely tough to give up. Um, but you know, it is important to prioritize our health, especially as we get older. And I really, you know, I think she understands this. I think it's I think it's something that's reasonable to pass up. You know, we know alcohol um, can interfere with medications. It can affect blood sugar. It can cause all kinds of things. So um, I'm sure, at least I hope she has maybe a favorite dessert or something she can indulge in instead. But I'm sure she was a good sport about this one. What do you think? Well, I mean, I I say let the woman have her nightly cocktail. But if it if it's for her health, then I want to keep her around as long as possible. So I guess that um, you have to do what the doctor says, but (laughs) (laughs) finally, okay. I love the queen. Um, Speaking of getting older and health and all that stuff. So (laughs) the queen politely declined the oldie magazine's oldie of the year award, because in her words, she doesn't meet the relevant criteria. (laughs) 95, everybody, you are only as old as you feel, she said. So right on. So she's young at heart, if nothing else, that makes me love her so much. Like, That I sorry, I can't be your oldie of the year because I'm not old. I'm young at heart. I love, I love that. that. God, I love her so much. Okay, so let's do a little bit of royals around the world. So the newest Dior menswear ambassador might look familiar to diehard royal followers. It is Pierre Kazrahi, the 34-year-old son of Princess Caroline of Monaco. 
we've talked about Pierre before because Pierre is very good looking, hence why he is the newest Dior menswear ambassador. Dior said in a statement, an icon of elegance, Pierre Kazrahi becomes Dior's ambassador. The Monegasque businessman embodies the new facet of tailoring constantly reinvented by Kim Jones, who is the creative of Dior's men's line, a timeless modernity. Pierre is eighth in the line of succession to the Monegasque throne, and as I said before, is absolutely gorgeous. So the king and queen of Bhutan also celebrated their 10-year wedding anniversary this year. King Jigme Kesar and Queen Jetsun Pima are, according to people, known as the Prince William and Kate Middleton of the Himalayas and were married on October 13th, 2011. On the Queen's Instagram page, she marked the occasion by writing, 10 years ago, the people of Bhutan were introduced to their new queen. Over the years, the nation has come together in celebration as well as challenging times, always guided and inspired by our king and queen. I think that this is their, like, staff writing this, not her. Um, On this cherished day, the 10th anniversary of their royal wedding, we take the opportunity to thank the guardians protecting Bhutan for blessing this land with a king and queen whose benevolence and service knows no parallel. So happy anniversary to the beautiful couple. And they are a beautiful couple. Um, Check out their Instagram. They, They had what people called probably the most colorful royal wedding ever. It was beautiful. Who knew that there was another, I did not, if I'm honest, I did not know that there was another royal wedding that happened in 2011, so. No, good update. I always enjoy when we do that segment, when there's something to report, there's always really great, interesting stories coming from around the world. True. And I got caught up this weekend, as I mentioned before, on the CNN Diana docuseries. I am now obsessed with it. They are two episodes in, it's a six-part docuseries. And I can't wait for next week's episode. So we've heard the Diana story before, obviously, but this time I appreciate that it is being told with really Diana herself narrating the program from her tapes she gave to Andrew Morton for his 1992 book, Diana, Her True Story. And speaking of Mr. Morton, on the show today, we are honored to have legendary, iconic, renowned, every adjective you can think of royal biographer Mr. Andrew Morton himself on the show. Take a listen to our conversation. Andrew Morton really needs no introduction. A renowned biographer, perhaps best known for writing Diana, Her True Story in 1992. In addition to Diana, Her True Story, he has also written three other books about the Princess of Wales and has also written books on Prince Andrew, Fergie, William and Kate, Wallace Simpson, and Queen Elizabeth and Princess Margaret. So he's pretty much the royal biographer. He has written about non-royals as well, but still pop culture icons like Madonna, Posh and Bex, Tom Cruise, and Monica Lewinsky, who is having another major moment in the spotlight right now. We are chatting with him today because yesterday, October 19th, the newly updated and revised version of his 2018 book, Megan, A Hollywood Princess, was released as, you know, just a little bit has happened in Megan's life since 2018. The new edition is called Megan and the Unmasking of the Monarchy, and it is about as juicy as it gets. Welcome to the show. Hi, nice nice to talk to you again. You as well. Well, it's so great to have you here. Um, We'll go ahead and get started with some questions. So, you know, at this point in your career, you can really choose to write about anyone and anything. So tell us why you felt it was so important to revisit and update a book you originally wrote three years ago. Well, the the answer is is staring at you in the face. I mean, in a way, she was uh, when Meghan stood at the the doors of St. George's Chapel three, three, four years ago, 2018. um, What was it, May the 19th? Who would have imagined that (laughs) in three years, she would have been living in a palace, um, not in the Palisades, but in Montecito, with sixteen bathrooms and uh, and um, uh, servants on on tap. 
Yeah. So you, you write in the book that you were frequently asked if Harry and Meghan would last. And you wrote, quote, at the time, I felt it was the wrong question, as anyone with even a passing knowledge of Prince Harry would have realized that he was the eager supplicant in this romantic drama, not the other way around. Unpack that for us. Does that have to do with his childhood? Well, that has to do with the fact that so many women, uh, when asked, do not want to become a princess or a queen. Look at Prince Charles. He struggled to get somebody to walk down the aisle with him. Right. He was turned down four or five times. Uh, the, probably the, the best known uh, suitor that he had was Amanda Natchbull, uh, that Mount, that whom uh, Mountbatten pushed her suit uh, for Prince Charles. But even though they went on holidays together, spent weekends together, spent a long, long time together, she decided that the royal life was not for her. And the same was true of all kinds of other um, aristocratic young ladies that he wooed and tried to win. And the same was the, the case with Harry, that his major girlfriends uh, were women that he fell for, uh, took on holiday with, always to Botswana, of course, and um, <laughs> they decided against the, the royal life because it's, as we've seen, incredibly intrusive. Every single fragment of your life is poured over. That's so funny because, you know, the average girl always dreams of being a princess. So it's um, it's interesting to hear that people are actually hesitant to join the royal family. Um, it's clear to the public that, you know, Meghan is a very independent woman. But we also know the monarchy is a rule-bound institution. And you write... The real issue was who would accommodate whom, Meghan or the monarchy, or to put it in another way, who would blink first. So when Meghan and Harry left the firm in 2020, do you believe that was sort of them blinking first? Yeah, I think so. But at the same time, um, as I've discovered from talking to people in the Hollywood entertainment industry, they were thinking about Hollywood long before they decided against being inside the royal family. Uh, some six months after uh, the wedding, Prince Harry was in deep in conversation in a London hotel with uh, Oprah Winfrey and several um, executives about doing a, a, a tell-all interview. So that that um, avenue, together with um, conversations with Jeffrey Katzenberg. Um, about a streaming uh, internet service called Quibi, which didn't last very long. Uh, and the fact that Megan was working with Elton John's husband, David Furnish, on a, uh, a show called Pearl, yeah. shows that they, they were very keen on, on, on Hollywood. So it wasn't like an impulsive, you know, we've got to get it away in the way that they portrayed it. It wasn't like they arrived you know, LAX with two suitcases and a cuddly toy and, and you know, hitched a ride on a Greyhound bus. Um, they, this was all part of a, of, a, of a thought through plan. So this book is an in-depth biography of Megan's entire life, not just her time as a royal. You write about how she was often kind in school to those who were bullied, writing, quote, Megan's struggle to understand herself instinctively made her more aware of those who had difficulties fitting in. What was Megan like as a young girl? And do you think she is still that person today? Well, this is a, a very good question because it goes to the heart of some of the complaints made about her right. by members of staff to say that she was a bully. And I, when I first heard that story, I was rather disbelieving because Megan has always made it clear that she does not tolerate bullies. And she, even as a, as a young girl, when, you know, the girls called the mean girls, shall we say, were, were bullying um, other, other children, she would step in. And she genuinely had a moral compass. It's not like, and, and she was quite strong about it. And several of the, the, the young girls I spoke to um, who knew and remembered Megan, remembered her not because she became a famous actress on Suits or whatever and married into the royal family, but because at a time, a critical time in their lives, when they were vulnerable, when they were being bullied, somebody stepped up to the plate and said, 
no more. And I find that, you know, we can all be uh, virtuous after the fact, but when you're being virtuous, when there's nobody watching, when there's nobody recording, when it's not for the cameras, that's a measure of the person. Mm, I agree. You write that as a child, Megan was given a copy of your iconic Diana, her true story, and that a childhood friend of hers said she was always fascinated by the royal family. She wants to be Princess Diana 2.0. Yet Megan famously said she didn't really know anything about the royal family when she met Harry in 2016. So that doesn't really seem to add up to us. Um, can you share your thoughts on this? Yeah, there's a lot of things that don't really add up when you actually put them in the mix. And I was surprised by the fact that she seemed so oblivious to Harry and William. And I don't know whether it was an act or, or what, but certainly she watched the funeral. She was upset by the funeral. She watched it with her friends. They remember how they, I think they collected toys and things and gave them to a charity in in her in her name um because they were you know they were watching these two boys walk behind their mother's funeral cortege and mm. it was a, it was a deeply troubling and moving moment and uh, so I, I was surprised that megan uh, late in later life said she didn't really know them um it's <laughs> I think it's it's often the way that you say you didn't know much in order to um, you know show how much you've moved on. Right. I mean, I look. I can attest to this as someone who is roughly Megan's age. I don't think there was a girl in America that did not know about William and Harry or have a poster of them on their wall growing up in the '90s. So. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. So you write in the book, I think this is so interesting because it really life in a lot of ways comes down to timing, right? You yeah. write in the book that had Megan met Harry two years earlier, rather than exactly when she did, she wouldn't have fallen for Harry. Why is that? Well, I think, I mean, even when she fell for Harry, she, she insisted that he went for counseling for, his, for the anger issues that he had. And two, three years before that, he was, even, he was a very angry young man. And he, you know, he was taking on the world and he was taking on paparazzi photographers particularly. Uh, he was stumbling out of bars, disheveled and uh, worse to wear for drink. Um, and uh, he, he, he didn't seem to have a, a, a compass. He didn't, he didn't know which way to turn. And at that time, he was he was struggling to find himself, struggling with the loss of his, his mother, struggling to come to terms with it. And as a young man, he I mean, you know, he wasn't always the popular Harry of uh, popular imagination. He was he was you know, described with some fairly pejorative terms for some of his behavior. And, you know, um, for example, when he was in Las Vegas, we all remember he, he stripped naked in front of a group of strangers. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, by any standards, if Prince or not, that's pretty out there behavior. True. And he said himself, it was too much army, not enough Prince. Well, even in the army, I don't think you tend to do that in a, in a uh, hotel suite in Vegas. Um, so Megan, uh, as she says herself, her favorite word is classy. And Harry wasn't particularly classy three or four years beforehand. He'd cleaned up his act. He'd been, he'd got involved in the Invictus Games. He was, um, he had found his, his metier. He'd found his, his cause in life. And, and he stuck to that, helping disabled, uh, mentally uh, injured soldiers and service women um, to find themselves. And I think that, was, a, was something that helped him find himself as well. In the book, you also write of the much talked about relationship between Kate and Megan and how you, you say Kate offered friendliness, but not friendship. So was the public wrong to have wanted or expected the two of them to become best friends? Well, yeah, it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the, the Queen, uh, one prime minister, British Prime Minister James Callaghan said that she offers 
friendliness, not friendship. And I think that that was very much the case with Kate Middleton, that she was friendly towards Meghan, but they, why should they be friends? Diana wasn't particularly friends with Princess Anne, for example. She right. was friends with Fergie, but before that, before she entered the royal family. Um, uh, Meghan is a very different character uh, to, to Kate. And there wasn't the kind of commonality, the, the common feeling uh, that you might expect. And she was heavily pregnant with her third child, difficult pregnancy. Megan was still learning the ropes, loads of questions. Neither of them had the time. I think that they were professional enough after the, that, the whole for, uh, affair of the, should the um, flower girls wear tights or not, uh, they were professional enough afterwards to draw a line under it and realize they did not want headlines that were endless dueling duchesses because that would just play into a tabloid narrative. They have appeared in public together, Wimbledon, for example, at Polo, and they've been um, friendly, but not you know, best friends. And certainly Harry, Harry would have wanted them to be best friends, but it, there was a, even a question of geography. Uh, Harry, Harry and, and uh, Meghan lived in Oxfordshire, which is west, way west of London. And William and, Harry, uh, William and Catherine lived up in Norfolk, which was you know, a good three or four hour drive on a mm. good day. Well, and I've said this once, I've said it a million times. How many of us really are best friends with our sisters-in-law? I mean, we, we like them. We are cordial. We're friendly. We enjoy seeing them at family functions. But very few of us, that is our best friend and you exactly. know. It's, it's, it's a good question and you know why should she be best friends they've they've got different houses different um different priorities different circles of friends i mean it's a very good word you've just used there they're cordial yeah and there's nothing wrong with that i mean that that is yeah. you know that is, is is there was never um i don't know i just i think we put too much pressure on that relationship but but, but so, having said that, there's, a, there's an, another element to it as well. As, uh -huh. as Meghan became increasingly disenchanted with the royal world, I'm sure she thought to herself, do I really have to curtsy to Kate Middleton for the rest of my life? I can't <laughs> bear it. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm sure she would never admit that, but in the dark recesses of her soul, she probably thought that. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And, and, Kate, and, and, and Kate and many and, others as well. <laughs> yeah. So when we last caught up, you were promoting your brilliant book about the sisters, Elizabeth and Margaret. And mm. at that time, so you live in Pasadena to, for context, um, nearby the Sussexes in California. At that time, you had not yet run into them. Has, has that changed? And if, regardless, what would you say to them if you did? How they enjoy? You mean the, the Sussexes? Yeah, well, we, we've actually spent a long time in Montecito. It's actually where I asked my 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 wife to marry me oh wow so montecito has a, a, a very affectionate place in my heart in my heart it's a we've been there lots and lots of times my wife used to have a house there so we we know it quite well and you know there's 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 the ladies who go walking uh, around the the, the 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 fairly steep streets and you know from time to time they'll go by megan and harry's place and they'll posed by the cameras and drop a curtsy um <laughs> they he, he, uh, rob Lowe lives nearby and he does a podcast and he says it's it, it, it's um like trying to find the abominable snowman you, it's difficult to catch um harry <laughs> and megan but it's a great it's it's a perfect place for the kids to grow up um uh, there's surfing just at the end of the road there's hills at the background in the back um it's a it's a, a a very very pretty place. It is kind of a a modern day Garden of Eden. Mm. Well, we've got one more question for you uh, before we wrap up. So, since the first edition of this book was released, I mean, quite a lot has happened. Megan has given birth twice. She's yep. been on royal tours. Stepped down from being a working member of the royal family. 
She's lived in three countries, interviewed with Oprah. I mean, so much has gone on that we really could have never predicted. Uh, so as her biographer, I am curious to know, what do you think the next three years will look like for Megan? Well, I think this, that's a fascinating question. First of all, let's just talk about her daughter, Lilibet. She's going to be the first ever American-born princess, isn't she? So mm -hmm. we're, going to, that's, we're going to be fascinated in, in her life, and she will be embraced, I think, by the American public. I think for Meghan and for Harry, they've accepted a lot of money from Spotify and from Netflix, these streaming services, and they will, and they will want their pound of flesh. They, they've mined themselves for material, now they've got to mine elsewhere and come up with, you know, the next uh, Squid Games. Um, and <laughs> they've got to come up with more than just a documentary about the Invictus Games. They've got to be uh, come up with, with material that's not worthy, but which will entice a worldwide audience. So they've got to put... Um, professional producers hats on and be able to read a script and see if there's a nugget of, of creativity in there that can be developed. It's not an easy gig and yes they've hired several people to, to work uh, with them. They do have the, the added advantage of they've got a, a, an address book that is to die for and they can right. call anybody on the planet and they will pick up the phone. So they have that great advantage. But what they don't want to fall into is doing what Prince Edward did when he had his own TV company, Ardent Productions, what, 10, 15 years ago, where he thought he was, he, he thought he tried to make it um, non-royal, but in order to make money and to uh, get headlines, he ended up doing programs about the royal family and one in particular, Edward on Edward, himself about, um, speaking about uh, Edward VIII. So, you know, Meghan and Harry have got a challenge and the challenge is to, to, to organise and to sponsor TV shows which are not royal. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that, how that plays out. Well, yeah. listeners... The newly updated Andrew Morton biography of Megan is out now, so definitely go and grab a copy. And thank you so much for joining us today. I mean, this has been an incredible conversation, and we really, really appreciate your time. My pleasure, Rachel. My pleasure, Jessica. And uh, always uh, happy to speak to you. How interesting was that conversation? Oh my gosh, I really enjoyed speaking with him. It was super interesting. Thank you for coming on the show, Andrew, and we hope to have you back someday. And he is truly a legend in this space. So anything else? That, that was quite a, a busy week that I wasn't really expecting, but you know, the Royals are back in full force and we're covering every minute of it. So anything else for the good of the order? No, I think we covered it this week. You're right. It was a busy week. We had an awesome conversation with Andrew Morton and lots of fun news to share. Um, so I'm excited to see what happens next week. Listeners, follow us at Podcast Royal on Instagram. Email us at hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com. Follow, rate, review. We appreciate you being here for episode 42 and we will chat with you next week. Bye. Bye.